The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Lionshare hosted a track called Making Disciples in the Generations and Vocations. That's where today's audio was recorded. Dave Buring led this track for Lionshare's team, and he's written a great four-page summary of his core teaching on transformation. It's called The Process of Transformation, and it's available for free through our website. Make sure to go online and download this PDF at discipleship.org slash lionshare. That's discipleship.org slash lionshare. Lionshare is an organization that focuses on what everybody else here does, making disciple makers. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is is through, um, we have foundational discipling, which is if, you know, someone gave their life to the Lord yesterday, is to help them get grounded. We do formational discipling, which is forming people more into the image of Jesus. And so we have a one-year tool called a discipleship journey that we help people navigate their way through. How do I hear from God? How do I walk in godly relationships Um, how do I get free from stuck places in my life? And so that's something that we use. Then there's something we call vocational disciple-making, where we take the time to come alongside people like Amandisa, who's in her arts entertainment world, and pour the ways of God into them, not only so they display the Lord and what they do, but they can also reproduce it, in her case, in other artists. And we'll talk about that. And then we have leadership disciple-making, which focuses on helping leaders walk in the ways of God. And so that's kind of our bullseye, or we call them our cornerstones for lion sharing what we do. So... As we begin today, I want to pray, since we just came out of a session on praying, I think that would be appropriate. So would you just join me in that? Lord, we recognize John 15, 5, apart from you, we can do nothing. We also recognize that Philippians reminds us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Lord, as we gather to talk today about a number of different things, we're asking for your grace to rest upon our lives. We pray that you give us clarity and the things to share. And we pray, Lord, that you would allow us uh, all to have ears, not what Mandisa says or what Dave says, but what the Spirit would say to us today. So, Lord, give us ears to hear that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, why don't we start way back? Oh, gosh. Like Belmont Church days. What did you used to do at Belmont Church? I used to work at the welcome desk at Belmont Church. So I would be the person when people would come into the doors, hi, welcome to Belmont. And you'd show them where the bathrooms were in the kids' ministry. Mm -hmm. But then she started showing up on the worship team. And kind of after church, people would go, she can sing. (laughs) And um, (laughs) and then then there was a day that... um, this would have been uh, the end of 2005, early 2006, that she was acting a little unusual in that she was trying to pull Cheryl, my wife and I, down to my office there at the church. And we went downstairs and we're closing the door, but she's she's kind of doing this number, looking out just to kind of see, is anybody around? And she kept saying, now what I'm going to tell you, you can't share with anybody. So I'm wondering, is she going to confess a secret sin? Like, what is she? And then you shared what? I shared that I was going on American Idol. Um, and they made you, me... You had already made the yeah. final 30, was it? 30... I don't remember. 28? This is like a... 
this was 12 years ago. I didn't even realize how long ago it was. But it was at the point where I had to sign a contract to say that I wouldn't tell anybody. That's why I was being very like, okay. Because they said that if people found out, then I would get charged like $3 million. So I took it very seriously. Yeah. If you say anything. You owe me $3 million. (laughs) So I just... I knew that I kind of needed some pastoral help because that's a whole new world that you were walking into. And so that's what I was kind of pulling you down to say, please help me. Yeah. yeah. So she walked through that journey. Do you, any of you remember that? 2006 when she was on American Idol and God used her in some wonderful ways. Still a moment in uh, American Idol's history. It's the only time I still think that Simon apologized <laughs> to anybody. And um, so... Let me talk about that a moment. Yeah, just do that. Because that, I want to make clear, the way that that came about really came from one of the most difficult times in my life. It, After my audition, the reason why I was so scared to audition for all those years is because, Simon, y'all know Simon. He's just known to say the first thing that comes to his mind. And I knew when he saw me, the thing that was going to come to his mind was going to be about my weight. It's why I didn't audition for the first four seasons. But um, I found out when they showed the premiere episode that Simon did make comments about my weight, but he made the comments after I left the room. And so I found out watching the premiere episode with 30 million people, and it was it was a nightmare for me. But I'll never forget, we were gathered in a room with a bunch of my friends and loved ones, and we paused the TiVo, um, and they prayed right there on the spot for me because they could see my heart was broken. And it was as they were praying for me that I realized, oh, this is this is about more than just my hurt feelings. Like, this actually could be an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. And so, strangely, it's all coming back to me now. I prayed and I fasted for the next three days because that's when I was going to be seeing Simon, and it was during that time of prayer and fasting that the Lord said to me, okay, I don't want you to get in there. I don't want you to tell him off. I don't want you to even share about how difficult and hard it was for you. I want Simon to encounter the grace of Jesus. And that is why I was able to say, Simon, a lot of people want me to say a lot of things to you, but what I want you to know is that I forgive you. I said, the reason I can forgive you is that Jesus Christ died so that all of my wrongs will be forgiven, so I can extend that same grace to you. And y'all, you should have seen Simon. Well, you probably did see Simon's face if you watched the episode, because not only did they air every last minute of that, and they aired it because it was good TV. And I remember the producers came up to me afterwards, and he said, you're an effing superstar. He didn't say effing. He said the actual word. And he just thought that it was good TV. But the fact that Simon had an encounter with the grace of God, it happened because I was around people who helped me to put my focus on the Lord. And because I prayed and I fasted and the Lord showed me what to do. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. (laughs) So she kept going in the journey. I remember some calls coming because we committed to talk once a week. And she became known as the Black Widow. Because not of her skin color, but because whoever... Maybe a little bit because of my skin color, too. I'm just... Okay. Okay. So whoever she roomed with got voted off the show the next week. That's true. So there was a little identity crisis going on. And and if you followed that season, you know she made that the top 12. And uh, and then why don't you tell them a little bit of kind of that story? (sighs) Okay. So I sang... um, a gospel song called Shackles. Um, I think that was top 10 week. 
And when I started this song, I said, this song goes out to everybody who wants to be free. Your addiction, your lifestyle, and your situation may be big, but God is bigger. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but that my choice of the word lifestyle kind of caught the attention of some people in the homosexual community. And then I was also on the worship team for an author and a speaker named Beth Moore. And on Beth's website, she had a link to a ministry that would um, encourage people by the grace of God to leave the homosexual lifestyle. And so I think those things partnered up with what I said I didn't realize what was happening, but there was um, there were articles and there were things being said about Amandisa hates gay people, and you were the one that told me about it. And share a little bit about how you yeah. got to know so, about it. Travis, mm-hmm. Travis Cottrell, who often has led worship for Beth, and so Travis and I got on the phone together because we saw this, and so we could begin to just pray because I knew that. Um, when she heard that, that that would be very hard for her. And so we talked about, okay, who needs to share this and how do we do it? And, and, um, and Mandisa, you know, handled it, but it was a spiritual swirl. And um, I remember that night, it was for my time, it was about midnight to one when we talked, when she, she was voted off the show. And, um, Not the week that I sang that, by the way. I was safe that week. It was the next, next week, week that I was eliminated. Yeah. Nine, number nine, mm-hmm. right? So she was ninth. And, you know, had a long conversation, you know, and a lot of listening on my end and a lot of just encouraging her that God's got purposes in this, that it's not over, that American Idol isn't the heavenly standard, you know, but that God's got purposes. And so she came home and... Uh, Remember, we we all met her at the airport, and we delighted at Cheesecake Factory. Yes. And um, and then I didn't hear from her for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I went dark. That's it's my default. It's what I did in t- between 2014 and 16. I just I isolate. I'm I'm super duper single. I think. Um, I say super duper. I think once you hit 40, you're super duper single. Like, you're just super single when you're in your 30s. When you hit 40, you're super duper single. And But but you're trusting that that's not a permanent state. No, I actually think that it's, I think I'm about to get married. I don't know to whom, so y'all hook a sister up if you know somebody. But... <laughs> There's a new category of discipling we need yeah. to engage in. <laughs> um, I, so I've, I've always been single. I've never been married. I don't have no kids. Like, I'm doing it. I'm waiting for the kids before I get to get married. And um, sorry, I said that the wrong way around. Y'all know what I mean. Thank you. Um, so I, I live by myself, and it's just easy for me to just get, I mean, I'm an introvert, so I need some time alone, but it gets to a dangerous point where I shut out everybody, and I eat, and I eat, and I eat, and I eat, and so it's so interesting thinking about this, because the last season, um, when I did this, 2014 to 2016, I gained 200 pounds in those two years, and then in this season that we're talking about, I think I gained about 150, like it... Food is just what I've always turned to for comfort. And so you, I just remember the phone calls and going unanswered, both in that American Idol season and in this one. I, it's just the way that I've always gone about coping. It used um, to be. It used to be. New wineskins. God has given me new wineskins. So, yeah. It's so interesting that I started this session eating a cinnamon roll, though. So. <laughs> 
appropriate. <laughs> I've learned that food is not the enemy. It's just that when I turn to food for comfort, that's when it becomes the enemy. Right. So, yeah. Where's the next cinnamon roll? Um, <laughs> so, um, so from that point, then became the time that, uh, what are you going to do next? Because, you know, she had opportunities to do all kinds of things, so. Yeah, I mean, in those days, American Idol was the biggest television show. So I got lots of offers, R&B music, and you can do pop music, and black gospel, and CCM, which is considered, like, pop gospel, or pop Christian music. And so, interesting being in a pit of despair, um, but finally starting to come out of it, and then having to make decisions about, okay, what am I going to do now? And Dave helped me to walk through all of that, because honestly, if... If I were just to leave it on my own, I would have thought, well, I was on American Idol. I can be the next Beyonce, you know? And I just remember you kind of shepherding me through that and helping me to see the ways of God that this isn't just a, this is the formula. You did this, and so now you need to go and do that. I think a lot of us... We kind of think, well, this, this is the way that you're supposed to do things. But Dave really helped me to understand... God has got purposes and plans for each of us. And so when you seek him, he will reveal what those things are. It's just you have to seek him first. And so that's, I just remember you walking me through that with finding a manager. and. So tell them about that because you got an awesome manager. I have an awesome manager who yeah. might, no, I think he, he was in here earlier. So um, my manager is Dan Pitts. Um, and I remember I met with a bunch of different managers to just kind of decide, okay, who who's the right manager? for me and um, he was with me and we just we kind of interviewed them we well we talked to them I would say and I remember Dan he seemed not interested in me Dan is he's Toby Max manager so he was the manager of DC talk back in the day and he just had a lot on his plate and I just remember thinking he doesn't seem very interested in managing me and so my thought was well, I'm not gonna pick him I want somebody who's like chasing after me there were some people that were chasing after me and and you, what did I do well, I, I can't remember exactly the conversation, but it was just a, I think you need to pray about this Dan Pitts guy. Is that? Well, it was, a, it was kind of the bigger picture of, because I remember it was like the norm here in Nashville. It wasn't just Mandisa, but in Nashville, you know, you look for the manager that can get you the most gigs, mm. the most fame, and it all happening quickly. Yeah. And we had a conversation about how in the ways of God, a woman of God will get on her face and she'll seek the Lord and she'll fast and she'll pray and she'll wait for God to kind of allow that person to emerge. And that's really what happened with Dan. He, yeah. He, yeah. Cause my flesh didn't want him. Um, but my spirit did <laughs> as I, as he guided me to seek Jesus about my manager, he kept, Dan kept rising to the top and 12 years later, he's been my manager and has helped to walk me through the most difficult times in my life. And in our industry, there's a lot of turnover with management and with labels, but I've had the same label, I've had the same management, the same booking agent since the very beginning, and that's just rare. And it's because I sought God about my decisions and what to do. And Dan cares more about her as a person yeah. than what she can do for him as an artist. And that's a big deal. Yeah. But see, the, the rooted place there in discipleship is this is how God does things. Mm -hmm. There's a phrase that we often use, what God initiates, 
he permeates, and what you initiate, you have to sustain. You have to sustain. And, and because so often what we do is we think we can just initiate something and ask God to bless it. And, and this may be surprising to you, but maybe not. Do you know that's not in the Bible at all? There's nowhere where somebody initiates a man or a woman doing thing and asking God to bless it. Yeah. It's, that's not how God works. Mm -hmm. God initiates Noah build an ark. Joshua walk around Jericho. Abraham leave your father's home and go to a land you do not know. Mm -hmm. We follow. So we're not just followers of Jesus like at an alternative way to say Christian. It's actually something we're supposed to do each day of our lives. And so that was part of the process of discipling uh, with Mandisa was, okay, how do we teach her the ways of God? So she cannot, and that, so that was a great starting point when it came to that, that time of her life and career. Hey, let me, just, let me just pause for a minute and let's talk about something. I don't know that we've really talked about this, you know, in front of people before, but sometimes people... Um, will ask me, Dave, like, what are you doing discipling a woman? Because oftentimes there's women disciple women, guys disciple guys. And so you need to know this relationship started first as a pastor. And so because she was in our church, there was a pastoral relationship. And of course, she knows Cheryl, you know, and so Cheryl's involved. But oftentimes the conversations that we have, you know, are just these kinds of conversations like we're talking with you about right now. So for me... She's both been a sheep in my flock. Then she became somebody that we were pouring into. There's always wisdom. Yeah. There's never anything foolish. My wife is the one, um, oftentimes I'll have um, lady leaders that will come and say, Dave, will you disciple me? And I'll say, why? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, because I can't find a woman leader willing to invest. And so what I'll do is we have something that we do called the, the leadership journey. That's a January to June kind of thing. And, and like last year, there was a dozen people. Three were ladies, nine were men. And because we, we do it all together, it creates a safe environment for everybody. But so what I'll say to them is, look, if we pour into you, and Cheryl comes alongside and helps with that too, but as we pour into you, I need you to make a commitment that you will become a woman leader who will disciple yes. women leaders. Yeah. Okay, so there's always wisdom. There's always safety. Cheryl always is the final. Cheryl's, my wife has big antennas. Mm -hmm. She's always the good discerner, you know, like when I was younger and she'd say, honey, you can't spend time with that person. I'm saying, you know, what, what do you mean? You know, as a guy, what do you mean? Well, she's kind of got eyes for you. No, she doesn't, honey. Oh, she does. And so I learned very quickly to listen to my wife. Some of you want to say, can we just close in prayer now? That's all we needed to hear. <laughs> but, but Cheryl, so, so if ever there's a lady involved in our discipling kinds of relationships, they're done more publicly. Yeah. And, uh, and secondly, um, Cheryl always has the freedom to just say ixnay on that mm -hmm. one. We ain't doing that. And it's done. It's over. There's no questions mm -hmm. on it. So just I want to address that because some of you have come from very... Um, fine rules there and just know that tends to be the norm mm -hmm. but this was something that grew out of a pastoral relationship that just continued on because of her hunger her hunger just hey I want more and you saw that today on the stage that's all sincere this is not her being somebody on a, on a platform that she's not now there's always a constant spiritual curiosity to grow in her and so but I just wanted to address it anything you want to say on that piece okay so Let's pick up the story then. So we were at Dan, and then let's talk about um, 
Let's talk about the, uh, we, we, we had a phone call where we were celebrating because her song online was first. Why do you always want to bring this story up? <laughs> because it's another Ways of God lesson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she, she, we rejoiced because like she, she was, it was her first time a song was ever number one. And we were excited about, this is prior to Overcomer. It was... It was my first song, yeah, my first, yeah. it was called Only the World. It yeah, was only the world, 2007. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so we were celebrating that. And then it was like about three or four weeks later. I don't remember the exact time, but less than a month. We were just catching up. How are you? And her tone was more like this. I'm okay. And, and so, you know, Shepherd Heart picks that up. Like, what's going on? And she said, here's what she said. My song is fourth now. And so knowing her heart... I thought, okay, I need, she's just teed me up for a lesson learning time. And I started saying, well, there's something I want to say. She said, okay, what do you want to say? And I said, you know, as a follower of Jesus, we don't have stages. A stage is somebody that's something that the world really embraces because it's all about me. We have platforms for the king. And, and so the way I teased her, I said, so I think when you get to heaven... Your song going from one to four is going to be the first thing Jesus asks you about. <laughs> and and, and you, you've seen her wonderful big laugh, and she gave a big laugh, and that's okay. You got a point here, right? But you've, you've learned that about a platform. Talk about Man. that. Man, yeah, it's so easy in the arts and entertainment industry to measure your success by the numbers, by how many albums did you sell? What number is your song on the charts? And the ways of God is not measuring by that. The ways of God is to measure, did the song have impact? Like, is, is it building fruit? Like, is it encouraging? Is it inspiring? Is it bringing about some conviction? And so that moment, the very first song, now having released, you know, six albums later, it's always a wrestle. I don't want to make it seem like yeah. I don't care at all about that. I just, I now understand Am I going to measure my value and my worth by that? Um, because, man, if I live for the applause of man, then I will die at the disapproval of man as well. So I can't measure it by that. I really have to measure it um, by the fruit, by what God is doing by his spirit through my music, through the platform that he's been given or that he's given me. And so I think starting my, very, starting the, my career out by having that moment and learning that that is really the measure of success for me, not by the number. I think that just kind of changed the trajectory of my life from that point. And, you know, and I think we could go a step further and say that the, the really biblically, there's only one measure of success, mm. obedience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really it. Because remember, he tells Ezekiel, I want you to go preach to these guys. And by the way, they ain't going to listen. Yeah. But he didn't go, well, if they're not listening, I ain't going. He still did it. Yeah. We have to realize obeying Jesus, and, and one of the things we like to share in our lion share world is, because sometimes when, like even when I said that word, for some of you there was kind of this reaction in, just inside, because we think it's like when Jesus said, if you love me, it's kind of like we think it's like, if you love me, prove it by your obedience. I think if we were with Jesus that day, this is what it would look like. If you love me, you'll obey me. Because we're to obey Jesus out of love. Not because to, to perform or not because, you know, we just have to. It's because we actually love him so much it would be ridiculous to not obey him. Why? Because when the God of the universe asks you to do something, he always has your highest good in mind mm -hmm. and 
at the same time, he always has the good of the kingdom in mind. Mm -hmm. Like, who else do you know that can do that? I don't know nobody that can do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely my highest good, the highest good of my wife, my family, the things I'm doing, and his kingdom yeah. at the same time. And that's why obeying Jesus, and, and when someone, when I'm in a short conversation, someone says, give me your dis definition of disciple making, I like to just quote that little part at the end of Matthew 28, it's teaching people how to obey Jesus. You guys, that's really what discipling is. So it means you have to have a relationship enough. Like, like one of the things I enjoy about Mandisa because of her personality is we, it, it, there's the ability to go deep fast and deep conversation, but there's also the ability to laugh and learn as you're laughing. And, and, but there's intentionality. Like one of the desires that I have that I, I often will tell her, I'm very proud of her in the Lord of how she's walking because she's learned to be an obedient woman. She really obeys Jesus. If she doesn't know what to do, she asks the Lord. And she's this obedient woman of God pursuing God's heart. And so for me, I'm proud of the Lord in her because I'm watching her obey. Okay? And that's really part of what being a disciple maker is. Like I, I think of a time that you called, um, this was early on, somebody at CNN had asked you to be on one of their shows, and you called. I was remember I was at the office, and she was learning how to hear the voice of God. And so I remember being on the phone, and I said, "Well, we just why don't we wait on the Lord about it, right?" And you said to me, "Like now on the phone?" And I said, "Yeah." Do you think God has a problem intervening? She laughed, and and so we literally just said, "Lord." You know, there's four voices you hear. This is one of the things we teach in our material. There's four voices you hear: the voice of other people, okay, your own opinion. The voice of the enemy who tries to influence our thoughts. You know, the enemy does not know our thinking, but he knows humankind and interjects thoughts. And then the voice of God. So we just said, okay, Lord, nobody else is here. So that's good. We lay aside our own thoughts and imaginations. You know, Corinthians talks about taking them captive to the obedience of Jesus. We resist the enemy in the name of Jesus. So we said, Lord, we know we're both like this. Lord, what are you saying about her being on CNN? And we just waited on the Lord. So it was a moment in the moment for me, and that's one of the things that I like to do with people I'm walking with is I love the in the moments to be able to say, hey, let's snag this a minute and talk about the ways of God here. Because when you're in the moment, that's when it makes the biggest imprint. Yeah. Are you following me? But it means you have to know the people you're with to know if that's a big deal or not a big deal. And I'm, I'm just thinking about... Um how you and Cheryl, how you will get together. I don't know how often. Do you do it every year? Were you twice a year? Yes, prayer retreats where they, um, they just seek the Lord on what he is saying to them about specific, not just specific situations, but just in general. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, like when our kids were growing up, we didn't assume that our kids were supposed to go to that same school that same year. We just always asked the Lord every year because we realized what if there's a professor, a teacher, a friend that's a lifelong investor in their life or a friend. And so we just always said, Lord, thank you for the great school year. But as they begin to go into next year, is there anything you want to say to us as parents? Mm -hmm. And then we will talk about my wife is a, she's an artist. She paints with coffee. Um, and um, so there's times we'll say, Lord, what are you saying to Cheryl this year? So I remember the Lord one year said inventory. Mm -hmm. 
And so she painted like a banshee. She just went for it. Because, and sure enough, she, was, she went to the Kona Coffee Festival in Kona, Hawaii, and the art show there, and she sold stuff that she had, and she won the blue ribbon there. And, but it was she needed to have inventory. And so we'll wait on the Lord about lion's share. We'll wait on the Lord about our travel. So usually somewhere between end of Christmas and that end of that first week of January, we get away for two days, and we do the same during the summer. And it's a waiting on the Lord as a couple. Well, we were discipled by others to do that. That's part of our discipleship of, on the receiving end. But now it's a habit that we have and we help other couples do the same. I love that. And I'm just thinking about, because I do think the time is coming soon, how that is a practice that I know that I will do with my husband yep. because I've seen it modeled out with yep. you. And specifically what I love about that is that you will take time separately. You and Cheryl will go off separately and you'll seek the Lord on specific things. And then you come together and you say, okay, what did you hear? What did you hear? And I just, that's revolutionary for me. I've never Never seen anybody do that before. And to be able to seek the Lord, there's something beautiful to me about the marriage, the union between husband and wife, how you can hear from the Lord individually, but then that there's something um, so beautiful about as a couple having a ministry together. And even when I say that, I don't just mean like a public ministry up on yeah. a stage, but yeah. knowing that there will be things that God will reveal to you as a couple that you won't get just by yourself. There's something, it's like the body of Christ, how we need each other. And so I don't know. I just, I love that. I love that you guys seek the Lord individually and collectively and how God reveals himself through that. Yeah. It's really become the, like the pillar of our, um, year every year. What is God saying? So about, and Christine, you might be able to help us with this about 2012 or 13 ish. Um, Mandisa said, hey, I'd like to go through discipleship journey, but we agreed, let's pull some other artists in with us. So do you guys, have you ever used Zoom? You know, Zoom is like Skype, except yeah. you can, you know. So anyway, so we use Zoom to do this. And, um, and the idea was because of the traveling band, you know, that I don't mean literally the band, but just kind of the traveling kind of folks that artists are, we had... Um, Christine's husband, Lauren, and I think there was a total of seven of us, including me, maybe. We had a gal from Canada that was involved and a couple other friends of Lauren's that were involved. Um, and so we committed. I want you to think about this with busy life here. All right. Every, every other Wednesday at four o'clock central time, because we are sometimes in different time zones, we would have a video call where um, they had watched the way our process works. We have a, something that is uh, lasts over a period of a year where you take one topic for a month and you marinate in that topic, focusing on life application. Okay, well, here's the math that I do, is if you, if you have one thing a week that the Lord really shows you to, you to walk in obedience and you do that with a new piece for 48 straight weeks, that's a transformed life, step at a time. Okay, it's about, we ask for people, I, I say 184th of your time, because it's two hours a week. You know, you sleep a third, you work about a fifth. So 184th doesn't sound like a lot, but if you commit to an hour on a specific topic in the word using this tool, and then the other hours in a small group where you're applying, and it's not about arguing about it. It's about saying, how am I supposed to apply what the Lord showed me? Mm -hmm. See, driving it towards obeying Jesus out of our love for him. So we do this group, and it was out of that then that you caught a vision to begin to disciple. 
I want them to know a little bit more about a discipleship journey. Um, so it is, do I want to call it a workbook? A workbook doesn't, it's a manual for understanding the ways of God. And would you give them a, a few of the topics? Yeah. Oh, that would be great if we had one. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so... Um, the first chapter is on knowing God. How do you really begin to have a relationship with the Lord? What's his character like? Um, so I just celebrated a year ago, last month, 40 years in ministry. And one of my reflective takeaways was this, and it's terms I've used or phrase I've used over the years. The image of God you carry around inside of you affects how you live your daily life. And most people, thanks, Kent, you can be the, you can be the displayer yeah, usually they don't have binding. He's used his so much he's had to get binding on it. All right. um, but, but the first chapter, it's like, I want you to think about this. Like I preached in California last Sunday on enjoying God. Do you enjoy God? Or do you just love him, worship him, and serve him? Right? Like I'm a new, I'm a new papa. Four, I have a four-year-old, a one-year-old, and a seven-month-old. And one day my wife said to me, do you know, like, like, Baron, who's my grandson, has a papa that does this kind of stuff. And so, you know, we laugh and we play. And, and, and Cheryl one day said to me, do you know how much Baron enjoys you? And the Lord used that to kind of do this. Do you enjoy me as much as he enjoys you? But you guys, if you don't know the character of God... Like, like, you don't want to get to heaven. I mean, we're all going to know when Jesus walks in the room, right? But don't you want him to walk in the room and you go, I know. I know. Because I know you're a shepherd. And I know you're just and kind in all your ways and doings. I know you're also the man of sorrow. So you understand every sorrowful thing I've walked through. That you're faithful. And so one of the things that we focus on in Discipleship Journey is getting to know the character of God. Why don't you list some of the others okay. there? I remember my, well, I shouldn't say my favorite, but one that had a big impact on me was hearing the voice of God. And I remember specifically the impact that it had on me because how people book me for events is that I would get an email from my manager to say, hey, this event, they want you to come at this time. This is how long your concert would be. And so I would just kind of be like, oh, okay, well, they want me. Yeah, I've got, I'm available. I can do it. And I remember when we were going through hearing the voice of God, we talked about what if you actually sought the Holy Spirit on whether or not you should do this event. Because if you, not every open door is one that we should walk through. Not every closed door is one that we're not supposed to walk through. Sometimes he wants us to contend in prayer for that closed door. And so when I started actually praying about whether or not to do these events, it changed everything for me. I would never go into a place without knowing that God has called me here and that he's got something not just for me to speak over and to sing over these people. What if he wants to reveal something to me through being here at this event. And so there's just something about waiting on the Lord and hearing his voice that it just, it changed my life forever. It's changed everything that I've ever done. Um, there's a chapter about spiritual warfare that is real. Like it's just something about going through a discipleship journey with these other artists, with him leading, but having these open discussions about things that impact every believer's life. Um, getting in the word of God. He speaks so much through his word. Those, how long did we do it? Was it? It usually takes a year, but we were a little over because of schedules, like maybe 15 months. Yeah. So, um, we walked through this entire thing and it was transformative. And, um, 
And the, and the tool in itself, like there's a friend of ours, maybe some of you know this name, his name is John Tolson, and John is out of Texas. He's been discipling men for many, many years, and he's also a... Um, uh, was used to be the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys, for which we'll forgive him for that. Um, <laughs> so, as a Vikings fan and as a Titans fan, um, and so the, uh, by the way, little side note: bring me back to John Tolson. Mandisa has been clueless, not interested in football till the last three years. So now sometimes when I see her calling and I'm thinking, okay, there's something we need to pray about or ways of God stuff, or she'll, she, she calls, she said, what is a blitz? <laughs> and I start laughing and I go, you mean like in football? Yeah. The guy on the announcer says the linebacker blitz. Like, what does that mean? And then do you remember calling me too? What's a red shirt freshman? I so please know he's discipled me in the ways of God and in the ways of right, NFL. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> and now I'm yeah. a season ticket holder. So please know it's serious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. I didn't think of it like that. Season ticket holder. Um, so, so John said this to me uh, in 2010. He said, Dave, do you know the number one reason why people don't reproduce disciples when they know it's kind of their responsibility to do so? And I thought it was going to be like some big hairy spiritual answer. He said, it's not, it's practical. I said, well, what is it? He said, if they don't have a tool with their Bible that they've been through, when you ask them to disciple, they just feel insecure and they don't know what to do. But when they have a tool they've been through, then it's like, oh yeah, God has spoken to me through this in the Bible. So now I know I could go do this. So this is one of the reasons a tool is so important because it helps someone like I never wanted Mandisa to be a disciple. I wanted her to be a disciple maker, mm-hmm. okay? And so that's always been the aim. Now, you know when you focus on focusing someone being a disciple maker, you know you get a disciple out of it too, right? But the end game is not just, okay, that's awesome, hallelujah, God bless you, go. No, it's like, when are you going to start pouring in to the lives of others, okay? So why don't you, why don't you uh, I mean, is there something else you wanted to talk about in here? Why don't you talk about sisters? Okay. Do you remember the night that you came over and announced this to Cheryl and I? No. It would have been about, um, we'd have to look on the calendar, but maybe. Yeah, that's right. He's got all his notes in there. Um, to, like it was maybe 2011 or 12, something like that. And Cheryl and I are kind of like most normal people. We'll head to bed around 10 o'clock. So I get a call about 9 o'clock at night. Can I, can I come over? And I look at Cheryl and say, it's Mandisa, she wants to come over. Cheryl said, just have her come, you know. So she comes over, and it was pastor appreciation night, and she bought me, like, a bunch of Minnesota Vice. She said, I just want to say thank you. And, and then she said, now I need to tell you why I'm really here. And, sh- and she went off for the next couple of hours, but the essence of it was it was a moment I won't forget because it's when it went ding, and she said, I know I'm supposed to be a disciple maker. And it was the first time you uttered, I think I'm supposed to do something called sisters. And so it was a starting point. I remember just thinking, yes, she sees it. And, and you know, once, once the light bulb goes on and someone sees it, all you, can, all you have to do then is encourage and be available to equip more if they need that. And, um, but she got it. So tell them about your journey with that, ups and downs and ins and outs. So um, that first group of sisters that I had, they 
it's all young girls. I say young girls, younger than me, um, in the arts and entertainment industry. They're all recording artists, and there's such there's such a need for these women to know the ways of God in our industry. Um, I think it's assumed that because we're Christian artists that we just know how to do things. It's not really the case unless you've seen it modeled out. You don't know to pray about having a manager. You don't know to pray about the events. There, there can be a lack of spiritual maturity. Yes. But because, if you're not from our city, mm -hmm. and I'm just playing when I say this this way, but if you can sing, you can get on mm -hmm. a stage. Yeah. Your spiritual maturity is not a factor. Yeah. And in our book, that's a bit of a penalty flag, mm -hmm. using a little football language there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. So I just, God kept bringing young girls in my life um, that I just felt a heart connect with. And so we started, but it's really difficult, being completely honest, getting a commitment level from people who travel for a living and whose schedule. It's not a regular nine to five job. So that first round just kind of died. <laughs> we would get together, we would use um, like a Zoom type of thing, and we would get together every two weeks to go through a discipleship journey. And we were committed at first, and then by the end, I was so frustrated at the lack of commitment that I was like, okay, I'm just done. It's over. I can't do this anymore. Um, gosh, I could go so many places with that. Let me just go to this point. I have a new crop of girls um, that I've been walking with, I guess it's been about a year now, and they're committed. There are 12 of them, and we just went to a Jesus Culture church concert together, and we um, go through um, on the YouVersion Bible app, they've got devotional plans, and so even while we're traveling on tour, you can go through these YouVersion devotional plans together, and you can read each other's comments, and you can text one another and say, hey, I saw your comment about this, and tell me more about what's happening here, and there's an app called Marco Polo where it's like video messaging. The disciples in the early church wish that they had this kind of technology that we had, y'all. It's, it's actually amazing how much we can be in touch with one another, and so I'm just kind of finding new ways to reach out to my sisters, and what I love about um, just the technology that we have is that I can always be in touch with them, no matter what. Um, several of them are out on tour right now. I just got back from tour. A couple of them live in California. One lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. But the fact that we can always do something together, um, I'm kind of helping to walk them through the ways of God that I saw patterned out by this man. And that's what disciple making is. It's I'm just taking the things that I learned from him, and now I'm sharing it with them. So, so I told Mandisa, and we were to get, when were we at? Capital was that late August, maybe? It was August, yeah. Yeah, and I just told her, I said, I'm looking forward to meet, meeting my granddaughters mm -hmm. in the Lord. Mm -hmm. See, that's a third generation. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we focus on with Lionshare and we find is a game changing thing in people's lives is learning to disciple four generations deep. Mm -hmm. Second Timothy 2 2, Paul, first generation to Timothy, mm -hmm. second, faithful ones, others. So I want to ask you a question as you're sitting here today. How many generations deep have you discipled? See? And so one of the things we try to do is so is disciple four generations because it sticks, not only in the people, but it sticks in you. And so, so let me just say this. You're not done discipling someone. She will not be done discipling these girls till she sees and helps them reproduce in others. And so usually we just go, okay, the discipleship class is done. Amen. 
put the book on the shelf or whatever you used and you, it's like, again, penalty flag. We have to realize you're not done discipling till you've walked with somebody to help make sure they know how to reproduce. Because just like they didn't know what it was like to be a disciple, they didn't know how to reproduce. Some of our first calls when she started to do that, it was a whole different uh, chain of conversation because all of a sudden she was like when some of them like, why will they not show up? And I, I remember saying to you, that's part of my life. It's just, it's, it's like I hate it when that happens because you see the potential in that person. Yeah. But, but can I say this to you guys about disciple making? Don't ever lower the bar. Don't ever lower the bar. Why? Because Jesus didn't. Remember the rich young ruler was somebody that it actually says, and Jesus loved him. Yeah. But he let him walk away. He didn't say, hey, dude, just give away half your stuff. We'll call it good. He didn't do that. And we lower the bar sometimes. And then we wonder, why are we not getting committed disciples? Well, because you lowered the bar, you know, an inch high off the ground. So when people are in my groups and after, and I could share it with you stories about this, you know, but to illustrate this, it's like there was an African-American group of some African-American men that said to me, Dave, we don't disciple well in our African-American churches. We know you, we love you, will you disciple us? I said, if you promise to do this in your churches or your relationships. So we, we did this. Darren was a part of this. We had two white guys and five African-American guys in it and me. And we were walking through this thing. And two of the guys, dear guys, one used to play uh, football for Penn State. Another one, his dad is a significant leader in our nation. And awesome guys. But we were doing the Zoom call thing. And the first time they weren't on it, I'm assuming it's technology. I always just do. Did, you, did it get screwed up? Like what happened? Second time, nothing third time, each time I'd reach out to them, and I'm kind of a, when it comes to discipling, and don't, don't receive this like hardcore, but I'm just telling you kind of how I do it. I'm kind of a three strikes and you're out kind of guy. So if there's the third time, and it's not, oh, my mom had a heart attack last night, or I, it was literally each time with these guys, it was, oh, my alarm, oh, I, I slept in, oh, I forgot. So when the third time came, I contacted them and said, I love you. I don't want you to see me in the hallway somewhere and you do this because you feel shame. So I'm just going to say this. I think this might not be a good season for you. I mean, you let them down graciously. This might not be a good season for you. So I'm not going to include you anymore in the emails because I don't want you to feel condemned. But here's the deal. If you want in, all you got to do is tell me and you're back in. But I did not lower the bar because... If I did that, then the other five guys being faithful, like, what is that? So there is times that you have to do that. It's interesting. I don't know that I've heard that story before, but I have somebody that was in my sister's group that I just did that with. And there's something because it, I felt like a failure. I felt like, well, I've messed up that I can't get her to be committed. And there, so that might be for somebody here. Um, the onus is not on us. Our only role is to be obedient. If we are doing what God is telling us to do, we can't control what anybody else does. Um, is that, 
is it Romans 12? I think it's Romans 12, 18. Somebody look that up, see if I'm right. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Um, that is what my role is. And I think it would be really easy to believe the lie of the enemy. Well, you messed up. That's why she's not committed. It's because you're not doing something right. But as long as I'm just being obedient to what God is telling me to be obedient to, as long as we are being obedient with reaching out to those that we know that God is, or that we think that God is wanting us to walk in a discipling relationship with, that's what we need to do. We let the Holy Spirit do the work inside of the other person. And one of the, one of the things, and again, this is part of our process that we do, is like, how do you select who you're to disciple? And how do you know if they're ready? So here's a process that we walk through. A friend of mine named David asked me this question many years ago, and I've used this now for many years, so it's kind of become my own, but he's the one that deposited in me. He said, start by asking this question. So as I ask it, I want you to let your mind go there and think about this. In whose ears... Are your words big? Yeah. In whose ears are your words big? Because if you notice that there's some people when you say something, it's kind of like wah, 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 wah. And then there's other people, they actually listen and do it, and they come back for more. Mm-hmm. And, and you guys, you have to... So, so let me just say it this way. I'm just playing and being a little dramatic with it. But when that happens, you have to realize the Holy Spirit's hand is going like, yeah. I'm giving you favor in this person's life. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. And then we go, well, I don't even like them. So we just blow by it. <laughs> But I want, I want you from this moment forward to be aware of that question. In whose ears are my words big? Because it's one of the ways the Holy Spirit shows you their, word, their ears are open to receiving from you. Okay? So that's where we start. So that kind of creates like a pool for me. Okay? Then I, then I ask these questions. And I use the word fast just because it's at 59. It's easy for me to remember. But I, I ask the question, will, if I ask them to be a part, will they be faithful? So it shows me they have at least have enough character that they're going to be faithful to be a part. A is available, and what that means to me is do they actually get it on their calendar? Nobody's really being discipled if it's not on their calendar. Okay? So it's commitment to time. So one is about character, one is about time. The S is are they servant-hearted, meaning you know as you give to them, will they be open to begin to pass that on to others because of a serving attitude? And the T is teachable. Like, you know, who wants to disciples? Oh, I know that. You know, who wants to do that, right? And, and so, so in whose ears are your words big? Then kind of run down that list. And usually if there's three of those four, I'm willing to take a risk on the fourth and help them. Say it fast. What is that? Faithful, available, servant-hearted, teachable. That's good, Dave. Thanks, Mandy. So, <laughs> so then once we have that pool, there's usually then a prayer time for me. You know, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. And I'm not saying you have to spend the whole night, but you need to say, Lord, it, does this feel right inside here? Is the Holy Spirit bearing witness to me that this is right? Mm-hmm. Then when I gather them together, whether it's on a Zoom call because there are people around the nation or in the nations, or they're in my family room, this is the step that Cheryl and I will do. We look each one in the eye and we ask this question. Are you willing to match my commitment? So like with that African-American guys call thing, they wanted to do it at 6.30 a.m. Eastern time. Jesus. <laughs> and it was so 5.30 my time. And I'm an early morning guy, but I said this to them, are you going to match my commitment? Because I will be there. I will be there. 
And I said, I've got enough mirrors in my home to look at myself. I don't need to be looking at myself on my computer by myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's a question that helps people realize, like if Sonia is pouring into somebody, for Sonia to say, look, I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I have multiple hats that I wear in life. I'm going to be there. Will you? That's, a, that's another way to help someone really understand you're giving yourself to this and they need to match that commitment. And if they just go, I can't, then I'll, I'll just say, come here. I love you so much, but now's not the right season yeah. for you. So in other words, one of the reasons that we often can, can fail on the front end is because we're not hardcore graciously through that process. And sometimes we drag people in. No, you will be discipled. I don't know if I want this. I don't know if I'm ready. No, you are. You ready. And, and then, then you're going, why did I even invite them? Because you're chasing. You're chasing. So if, you, if someone is not chaseable, you got to just cut them loose. That doesn't mean you're not going to go to a ball game. They're not going to come over and have popcorn and have fun with you. doesn't mean your relationship screwed up if you end it well yeah. by saying, I love you. You're in any time, but it just seems like... Okay, so I, I, that's part of our process of how we choose those people. And, you know, the, it all begins with in whose ears are your words big? Because that's a way that you can recognize God's giving you unique favor in that person's life. Will you tell them a little bit about the domains of society? Did you just put your Oprah hat on? Sorry, just put my Oprah hat on, y'all. I'm going to be, I'm going to have my own TV show one day. <laughs> Don't be surprised. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Mandisa Hour. <laughs> so the dozen domains of society. That's a great question, Thank Oprah. you. Um, so, so something that we focus on in Lions here, like our mission statement is to co-mission, C-O-mission, because that's what the great commission is. Remember, it's not the great suggestion. It's the great, we're, we're to, Jesus invites us to co-mission with him in making disciples, okay? So it's to co-mission in igniting, equipping, and resourcing disciple makers in what we call the dozen domains. So the dozen domains of society uh, represent these things. And, and we'll point you to some stuff that you can look at this. But it's family, church, government, which would include like law, nation security, all that kind of thing. Education, media, arts, entertainment, sports, and then business, science and technology, health, medicine, wholeness, that whole area of physical well-being stuff, um, environment, agriculture, zoology. Like I have a friend who's an environmental guy, godly guy, in his 70s now, and he said, Dave, if the Republicans and Democrats are the ones that get a hold of environment, we're all messed up. They said, we need more followers of Jesus to lead in this, okay? And the 11th one is, is on the nonprofit sector. You know, one out of every three people is tied to usually some nonprofit in some way. And then the last one is peoples. So it's like here in Nashville, one of our largest people groups is Iraqis. We have many Iraqis that have come from Iraq here to Nashville. And so sometimes people are called, you know, to a certain people group. So... Our heart is this. We don't believe disciple-making is meant just to change the church. It's meant to change the world. So let me illustrate this. Vocational disciple-making. I'm picking an extreme example, okay? How are we ever going to have a president in our nation, male or female, who is going to lead in a godly way unless someone shapes them in the ways of God related to governing? 
Have you ever thought about that? First, there's, there's formational discipleship that builds like a scaffolding of spiritual, like hearing God and relating well to people and all that stuff. But then on top of that, you need to build like, what did God, what are principles? I'm not talking about a theocracy. I'm just talking about what are principles of the ways of God that Daniel and Esther and Nehemiah and David led out of as governing leaders, like the fear of the Lord. Like, could you imagine if a president had the fear of the Lord on what they did, what they said, how they did it? Okay? Could you imagine a president that said, okay, I got to meet today with Congress. I, I know these leaders have given me these things and it's awesome. Lord, is there anything else you want to say to me? But see, if someone doesn't take the time to lay a formational base that then vocational discipling can build on, they don't know. So the, the, many of the principles that Mandis and I have been sharing with you are vocational. Like it's not a stage, it's a platform. Like you don't get a manager just because they can get you the most gigs. You wait on the Lord. Okay? And so I'm helping her vocationally to be a woman of God where God's called her. Guys, just play that out. And then imagine as she's now pouring into younger artists, and you got people like the Jeremy Camps of the world that are doing the same with guys. You can influence society. You, you see, the way that we're to influence society is not yelling and screaming at it. It's praying, and then quietly, little leaven leavens the whole lump, that you start making disciples who reflect Jesus and lead like him, that God can go, oh, you're a Daniel, I'm going to put you there. Hey, by the way, Nehemiah, I'm going to put you next side of the king here. But see, if we don't do that, God doesn't have people to strategically place. And, and I have no way to prove this, and I acknowledge that. But I believe the reason we haven't seen a move of God in our land is because God is not going to pour out his spirit and then just have people go to potlucks at churches. He's waiting for churches who are going to take this serious. We just came from one last weekend. So in this leadership journey thing that I, I tell you that we do from January to June, there's a pastor. His name is Kevin. He's from Hollister, California. Kevin came, walked with us for six months, and he got the disciple-making bug. So he said to me, here's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to start with my church. Then he was a section leader for about 30 churches. Then I'm going to begin to influence them. We had the privilege of running one of our, we, we do an event called D4. Remember, discipling four generations deep. It's a two-day event, like a Friday night Saturday, where we go into a region and we help ignite disciple making. If this is something your church is interested in, we can tell you more. But Kevin wanted to do this. So we go out there this weekend. So catch this. When he came and did this thing um, four years ago, three and a half years ago, he said we had under, just under 200 people in our church. Now they've got just under four, 140 people they've taken through discipleship journey and he said, we started with 144 over the last couple of years. And he said, only four have not completed. And one of those four is in heaven because they died. They're having the full completion. Yeah. <laughs> but you guys catch that. Out of 143, 140 have finished and are now having vision to be disciple makers. And God has grown their church so much so they got to have a new building. Now, listen to me. This is not a church growth strategy. This is how Jesus designed it. And we got to see as a staff with our own eyes the story after story after story. And this is a Hispanic, probably, what, 55% Hispanic church, maybe 30, 35% white, and the rest kind of mix of black and Asian. And, and it was like, holy smokes. 
So guys, don't ever do disciple making. It's like, to be honest, those of us that help steer some of what happens with discipleship.org in the forum, we are really bothered that discipleship is a fad right now. Because it means it's going to come and go like everything else. Like Rick Warren's book on purpose-driven church, and then you have this, and you... It is not a fad. It is the, it is Jesus's primary way of advancing his kingdom. I didn't say only, but it is primary. Why? Because he did it. He taught the multitudes and he invested in 12. If I could rename Acts, wink, wink, here's what I would call it. The Acts of the Discipled. The book of Acts is not the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit on discipled people. It's a big difference. And usually we don't do that math. And we need to realize that. Um, I was just thinking about, I heard somebody say recently that we are trying to get the whole city in the church, but God wants to get the whole church in the city. And so when you think about what it would be like to have discipled people in the medical field and in government and in the arts and entertainment industry and all those domains of society. That's how God is. I just feel like that is how revival is going to come. It's going to come through not just in the four walls of the church, but the church actually walking out the ways of God. So So when you're a mature doctor, let's say spiritually, what does that mean? It just means as you build relationships and your words are big in the ears of other medical people that do love Jesus, but they've never grown, you start pouring in not only formationally, but vocationally. Mm-hmm. Like we have a, a friend, several of us in this room, of a, he's a top cardiologist in the country. And when he began to be impacted by this, he's one of those guys that, Mandisa, let me see, Paul's good. Okay, it's good to see you. And he's on to the next person. Mm-hmm. The Lord began to show him his God's great love for people. And now after he's done a heart surgery, he'll go in, pull up the chair and say, how are you? So good. And he said, not only do I have hands that tried to fix your heart, I have hands I want to put on you if you'll allow me to pray for your heart. Mm-hmm. That changes everything. And guess what? He can model that now for others. Yeah. Well, see, that's, that's how discipleship, the little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Yeah. So I hope while you're here that you have an opportunity to really let this stuff get in you. And, and I'll be honest, and then I'm going to set us up for a few minutes of questions and answers, okay? So you can ask her some questions while I just take a break. Um, so I, I just want you to realize that this is something that can challenge you. If you're a pastor in this room, don't feel condemned. I, I've spoken on this to pastors where I've seen it you know, about this size, say, in this section in Saskatoon, Canada, and I've watched them all do this, and I saw that, and so I just kind of did, hey, guys, look up here, time out. I said, hey, what's going on? And they just said, we feel shame. I said, and I, I knew why, but I wanted them to talk, but I said, like, why? And they said, because why didn't anybody tell us this before? Like, I've been pastoring some guy, you know, 30, 35 years, and I was told I needed to run awesome Sunday services, have some good small groups, and reach out to people and call it good. And he said, I've never discipled anybody. Truth be told, I don't know that Bobby would share this from the podium, but the first time we got together is Bill Hull, myself, Dan Spader, Bobby, there was 10 of us. And he said in preparation for our coming together, he said, will you, be, will you please think about this thing? What do you guys believe the number one hindrance is to disciple making in our country? So we all started thinking about it. So when we got together, you had the big white sticky pads on the wall and Bill Hull starts and he goes, I think we're trying to disciple people in our churches who aren't even saved. And that's why they're not changing because the spirit of God isn't in them. 
You know, so I mean, it started there, and you could imagine it was all over. So at the end, Bobby said, now don't pick your own answer, but I'm looking for a consensus. So here was the consensus and why the forum started. The number one hindrance to disciple making in the United States of America is senior pastors. And it wasn't said with any pointing of fingers, but here's the truth. Four out of five senior pastors have never been discipled. So when you talk to them about it, they will look at you and go, well, I've got an education department. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. And so we said it with compassion. And it's, if any of you are senior pastors, just know we love you. You've got 20, what is the number they say, 18 organizations here that would be happy to wash your feet and serve you. I will come alongside senior pastors and start pouring into them. Our own senior pastor acknowledged, he said, Dave, nobody ever discipled me. And when I was in Bible college, every time I'd go like a young 20-something to just say, I need you to give me a talk to me, he said this all the time, just go read your Bible more. So, so our pastor is awesome in the word, but he said, I don't know how to make disciples because I was never discipled. And I just want you to feel the weight of that. So don't, if you're not a senior pastor, don't go in your senior pastor. Yeah, you're the, don't do that. <laughs> okay, just pray. Just pray. And if you are a senior pastor and you've never been discipled, it's nothing to be embarrassed about because 80% of senior pastors have never been discipled. So just, just kind of be aware of that and pray because if that can take place for the next generation, we have senior pastors that have been discipled, imagine what could happen because then they're going to have a vision for it for their church. So good. Okay. So we just have about 10 minutes left. I'd like you, I want you just to have freedom to ask Mandisa some questions, but let's not go to the who does your hair kind of questions. Let's, let's kind of keep it in the realm of, of either disciple making or maybe her ministry, because she's not just a singer, she has a ministry. And so if there's questions that you would just like to ask her, I just want to give you guys the freedom for a few minutes before we do that. Or him, by the way. This isn't the Mandisa show. Okay, he's got one. You talked about the four voices of, um, that are around us. I, I mean, I actually, you know, it's like we knew that, but we never, I never really thought about it like that. You know, and you talked about, um, you, know, the, you know, the people around us. See if I get this right. Our, our, our own voice, our own thoughts, the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. Yeah. So in my own personal experience, you know, I'm praying, I'm doing my devotionals, and I say, Lord, I want to hear you. I really want to hear you, and you know, make sure I, you know, uh, you know, Psalm forty six ten. We still know that I am God, and my own thoughts get in my mind, and they distract me. And and I'm and, and I, I've always kind of had a hard time separating those two. Um, and do you, I mean, does anybody else really know oh, what I'm saying? Though? No, you're the only one in the world. Oh, great. Amen. <laughs> I'm gonna kneel right now. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, it, it, it's. I think that's human. Um, here's my wife. We just asked that, somebody asked that exact same question at our D4 event in California last weekend. And um, here's what my wife, because Cheryl is like this too, and, and she will wrestle with that. So what she does, she keeps like either a um, post-it note or a piece of paper. And when anything comes, she just jots it down because then it's discharged. Especially if it's like, I got to take the dog to the vet today and I forgot to call him, you know? She'll just write vet. And then it's done. And, and she sometimes, her first 10 or 15 minutes of just trying to get quiet from the Lord is kind of a mixture of worship and discharging. And then it's like, 
okay. I think I'm good, you know? So I think that's a very normal process. And, uh, but to find some mechanism, like for me, I, I will prefer to use my phone because I know I'll have it with me during the day. So I might open notes and just, you know, or my calendar for the day and just jot that stuff down. And sometimes I think we just need to discharge. And here's the thing I've learned. If you make habits, if we have habits in our lives of seeking the Lord, like on a daily basis, some of that tends to um, go away a little easier because you have formed this habit quickly to how to enter in, all right? But sometimes not. I mean, sometimes for me, I feel like I'm in a good flow in life and that all of a sudden, because of something that happened yesterday or is gonna happen tomorrow that I know is coming, my mind is, is worked up or my emotions are worked up. And, and sometimes, um, I, this is the language I use, I have to war my way into God's presence. And what I mean by that would be, so let me, let me illustrate this. So we had a, a 15-year-old boy in our church who this summer, him and his family were going to go on vacation. And, but before they went, there was some neighbors and they had been gone on vacation. He said, Mom, I just want to bless them by cutting their grass. We got on the riding lawnmower. Well, he got on an angle and the lawnmower tipped. And when he fell off, he hit his head on a rock and he drowned in the river. And so... You know, if you, if you walked by, like in my, our home, we have a little study and it's got one of those like 15 panel glass doors on it. And I can close the shutter if I want to, but if you were there having a cup of coffee and I was in having my quiet time, I didn't come out to see you yet. On, on those kind of days, you'd probably see me standing. Like I'm almost like in a boxing position and, and, it, and I'm just telling you, this is how it goes. God, I don't understand. Why would you take a life of a child? He doesn't even have a dad. It's just mom at home. God, I don't. But then I'll get to this point. But I trust you yeah. because you're just and you're kind. See, one of the, one of the things that, well, I need my hands. Thank you, Oprah. One of the things that, that we need to do is we have a habit of, of looking at God's character from the word through our circumstances. Yeah. And we have to do this and turn it around. So I don't know why this little guy had to go to heaven early, but I'm standing on you're just, you're kind, you're faithful, and I, P-brain does not understand it, and I'm not gonna try to. Do you realize if you keep, you learn this about Keisha, Keisha, if you go round and round and round in your mind asking why, you usually never get an answer unless the Lord intervenes. At some point, you have to park it and say, I don't know, but I trust you. And you know the Bible, it says, trust the Lord with half your heart. <laughs> But that's what often happens. And we lean on our own understanding. And the way that you battle through that is you have to stand. So sometimes I have to war my way because look, I can't hear you right now, Lord. I don't understand. And I have to war my way by just declaring the character of God. And then sometimes in worship till I can kind of get through to the other side to listen. Does that make sense? And I think, guys, that's just, that's just human. On a practical level for me, I really have had to practice the presence of God. And so that means actually taking time to, when, I, when I'm praying, to close my mouth sometimes and to just sit quietly and to let him speak to me. And what I have found is that the more I do that, the more I recognize his voice more. But when we make prayer all about, blah, 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 and I got to say this and I need to say that, but not taking some time to go, okay, shh. And to just listen, 
um, we're not going to hear anything. And so it's it's a very difficult thing to practice, but it's got to be something that we have to practice. It's like when you discount like um, caller ID, when you pick up the phone and you and the person says, hey. If it's somebody that you speak to on a regular basis, you know who it is. But if it's an unfamiliar voice, it takes a moment to get your bearings and to know who it is. So the more that we practice hearing the voice of God, the easier it is for us to hear the voice of God. But we have to practice it. One more question, then we'll say aloha. Just a couple quick words on how to have more courage as a believer stepping into a new role and challenging others to grow in their faith. I remember hearing Joyce Meyer before. She says it all the time. But when you're afraid, do you know that God is calling you to do something? Do it afraid. That's kind of been my answer. It's like, God, I don't know what to do here. But when I just choose obedience over my fear, um, he answers and he does things that I can't do on my own. So I think it's actually okay to feel the fear. It's just whether or not we're going to give into it and be disobedient because of it. You know, and being courageous doesn't mean lack of fear. It's choosing to walk in spite of fear. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from LionShare's track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Make sure to download the free PDF summary from Dave Buring. It's called Process of Transformation. Download it at discipleship.org slash lionshare. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.